you would turn to Jonah chapter 3. As we close Jonah 3 today, we um, need to be reminded that Jonah has gone through something pretty dramatic, um, something that nobody else, um, few people have been in there, but not for 72 hours. I mean, he has really gone through something. He has also gone through something in regard to just the spiritual experience of, of being not allowed by God to continue to run. And so Jonah has gone through a lot. And in the belly of this great fish, Jonah has come alive again and his heart has been awakened. His life of faith in Christ is real. And so in light of his previous rebellion, God is not done with Jonah. God still has a purpose for Jonah and it is to continue um, what God had originally called him to do. God was still going to use Jonah to fulfill the call that God had originally given him. And so in chapter 3, verse 1, look there with me just for a moment. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. This time there's no hesitation with Jonah. Jonah embraces it, and it begins the march of going all the way uh, to Nineveh. If he is spat back up on the beach near where um, he started his running from God, it's a little over 700 miles from there to Nineveh. Um, I shared with you several weeks ago that would be like walking from the front of our property to Denver, Colorado. And so he begins that journey, if that's the case where he is there, and he's walking back. We don't know how long um, was it immediately that God said, hey, I want you to go a second time? Did he have some time to recover? Whatever the case is, is a long journey. And Jonah's thoughts would continue to go. He's now a changed man. He's a God-called man, and he's embraced that call. He's been given a God-given message that he is to take, and now he is on a God-directed mission. And he's going to follow through with what God has for him. As I shared with you several weeks ago, um, I had, I had an, a, a really God kind of moment in my office um, about three weeks ago. Um, as I was walking through this text, just seeing Jonah walking all of those miles, um, likely his physical appearance has changed. He's lived in the belly of the great fish for 72 hours. His skin is probably because the acid has been bleached out. All of his hair may be gone. He is a possibly a unique-looking man. And now he's walking, and he's marching, and he's going to this in God's call, in God's purpose, and he's going all the way. And I saw this abandonment of Jonah that I'd never really seen before, and I was amazed at the deep faith that he has in this moment to continue to walk with God and do what God had called him to do. Now, I, don't, I think we'll see next week when we get to chapter 4. I don't know Jonah. We could say he's 100% in line with this mission. I think chapter 4 would tell us that he has weighed his options. Okay, my options are I'm going to be obedient to God or I'm not going to be obedient to God. So he embraces I'm going to be obedient, but I think his heart, because of who the Assyrians were and the people of Nineveh, he's still wrestling with some sin in his life toward them. But in this moment, he's going to do what God says 
um, whether his heart is fully on board, not in the sense of, I don't like you, God, but he's just, he's a man of God who's a human. You ever met them before? None of us in this room today have got it all together. So sometimes even in the midst of our obedience, it may not be as much as we would like it to be 100% obedience, sometimes there's just a trudging along in our obedience, correct? And there's one of those moments, and I think Jonah is there. But watch this, we'll see today, that even in the midst of that, God can do something. Now, I think God wants all of our heart, and I think we should give all of our heart to him. But again, we'll see next week in chapter 4 that Jonah's wrestling with some of this. Now, watch this. Nineveh, 60 miles in circumference. It was a three-day journey. Uh, You can walk at a normal pace, about 20 miles a day. Um, Not running a marathon, but if you just want to walk normal, it'll take you about... You could walk about 20 miles. And so Nineveh was such a large city, 60 miles in circumference. It was three days' journey to go around. That was a wall around the city. Within the city wall of Nineveh, there was a place probably where the king and some of the special people lived. There was another wall that they have uncovered through excavation that was eight miles wide. So it's likely where the king, important people, um, some other things happened and took place in there. So you've got a 60-mile wall. Within the city, you've got an eight-mile circumference wall. And so Jonah is walking there. And as he is walking, he has never seen Nineveh. He's heard of Nineveh. He knows the reputation of the Assyrians. They are a brutal people. And watch this. And this is what so greatly moved me about this moment. Jonah has not been sent by a mission agency. He has no accountability partners. He's got no other staff members with him. As he steps to this massive, evil, wicked city, he is all by himself. He has sent out no picture prayer cards for his mission endeavor. There has been none of that. He is all alone as he stands before Nineveh, and he steps into the city all by himself, equipped with one weapon, and that is the presence of God And you can't really separate this and the word of God. God has given him a message. So he's going to step into the city, empowered by God, to speak God's words to these people. And I was just unbelievably amazed several weeks ago. And I'm still this morning incredibly captivated at the courage of Jonah. This is not a weak man in this moment. The Ninevites were known for their brutality And Jonah steps into the city all by himself. He's got no other elders with him. He has no one else with him. But he's got something that you've got to have in your life. And that's God. And God's ordained mission for him. So he's one man alone stepping into the most vile city in the world. And what I'd like to do this morning is I want to take some time and I want to talk about the hallmarks of what are a part of awakenings. And the first thing I want to share with you this morning, G.K. Chesterton, um, he wrote something, yeah, Chesterton, um, sometimes you used to say Chesterton, it's Chesterton. 
um, he once described Nineveh and places like America now with this, is that they are a land full of a sense of the absence of God. Listen to that. A land full of a sense of an absence of God. That describes Nineveh. Does that describe the place that you and I live? This country today, there's just an absence of embracing the truth, and that has even drifted down into the reality of many churches today. So as Jonah steps into this great city, this powerful city, it is known for a number of different things. When the Ninevites and the Assyrians used to capture people, they would take their captives and they would dismember them, they would decapitate them, and they would burn their captives alive. That was their practice. So as he steps into the city, that's what he knows, that's the reputation, and yet he steps in and is going to do what God wants him to do. Now, throughout Israel's history, the, Ethereum, the Assyrians have been a great threat to the people. Jonah knows the reality of all of this. As a matter of fact, several decades ahead after this instance with Jonah, the Assyrians are going to be used by God to come in and they're going to capture the ten tribes, the northern tribes, the northern kingdom, and they will capture them and they will be gone. The northern kingdom will no longer exist anymore. Those ten tribes literally disappear and you only have the two tribes in the south and the kingdom of Judah, which now becomes Israel. And so these are the people that God is going to. And so Jonah has all of this. And the reality of what's going on with him is he knows this. This is a city that has an absence of God, doesn't understand God. It's probably not going to fully get what I am going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway because God has called me to do this. So what is a land full of the absence of a sense, a sense of the absence of God? What does it need more than anything? Well, it needs messengers where it needs a messenger who has a message to communicate. And that city and those places need the power of God to fall upon the people. We talked about this as we walked through 1 Peter. Let me remind you of these words, 1 Peter 4, 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And what, what we talked about then is just a reminder this morning is, if God is going to do something in a land that is absent of God, understanding of God, or maybe God once was greatly present there. There's been a forgetting of God in that land, and there's just a sense of God's absent, he's distant, he's not interested. What does God need to do in that land? He needs to awaken his people, and that's what Peter says there. If there's going to be a great awakening, it's going to come when God's people get their heart right to be used and to be witnesses in that place. And so Nineveh needed an alive believer, and it's got Jonah in its midst. So before any great awakening comes, there's a sense in that place, a sense in that land, a sense in the churches or gatherings of people that there's just an absence of God. Where's God? What, what's God doing? Is God, can God do something again? Is God going to do something again? And so here's Jonah stepping into a place there's no clue of Yahweh, and yet Jonah has been prepared. And I want to talk about that now. 
Here's the second thing that happens with every great awakening. God awakens places where there's a sense of an absence of God that God's just removed. And here's what God always does. He begins to prepare his people to be the ones who are going to be the influencers in that place. Now, Jonah's soul has been broken down. He's been prepared by God in the belly of the fish in the midst of even his rebellion. Now he's been restored and he's ready to take this message to the city of Nineveh. In some ways, Jonah becomes a sign to the people of Nineveh that God can change people. Jonah has been changed. Now he's stepping into a city where there's an absence of God, there's a lack of understanding of God, and it becomes this visual picture that God can change people. Now you look back through history at the men and women and even children that God has greatly used in revival and awakening and you will find some common themes. And one of those is simply this, is none of those people were endowed with great natural supernatural abilities. But here's what they were endowed with. They had yielded their heart to God. As they yielded their heart to God and they recognized the sinful nature and their great necessity for God to move in their life, it's those kind of people who have been broken and crushed by their sin that God seems to come along and kind of awaken them and do something. And so Jonah didn't necessarily have some kind of supernatural ability, but he'd been endowed by God and empowered by God to be used for this purpose. And every great movement of God has people who say yes to God, not no to God. So God's not looking for people to say no to him. He's got those all over the planet today. He's looking for people to say, I'm going to say yes to you, God. Now, my daughter lives in the UK, and, and I don't pronounce it right. I've been told by charity I don't pronounce Wales right. I say Wales, but it's Wales. Okay, that sounds better. Charity's not here, but maybe she would approve of that uh, this morning. So I've been reading about the great Welsh revival in 1904 and 1905 since my daughter is living there. They had a saying, and it was this, bend the church and you will save the people. Bend the church and you will save the people. And the idea was this, if God will bend the hearts and break the hearts of his people, then salvation will come because God's people have come alive and they've got a testimony that speaks of the greatness of God. And I believe when the sign of the brokenness of Jonah is seen in the church again. What do I mean by that? I mean this, broken over our rebellion as his children against him. A repentant heart is what Jonah had. And so when the sign of Jonah, this brokenness, getting our heart right comes again in the church, then I think what we see in the book of Jonah happens again. God's power will move in the world and in a nation and in a land again. And I know this to be true. Those who learn from their pain and the crushing of life, they're the kind of people God has always used. You ever read about Martin Luther? He was kind of just unsure of himself. 
just doubted his salvation, just an uncertainty. And there came a point in time where there's a where he's wrestling with the scripture, and he has this moment where God, where he gets it and he understands the reality of things. And for Martin Luther, it was a process. But leading up to that, this great man of the Reformation, he just lacked certainty of his salvation. He just doubted that he belonged to God and he knew God. And you look at other people, and and they're just not perfect people, and God has greatly used them. And I think you see this in them. They have allowed the pain and the brokenness of their spiritual life and decisions that they made and they, God has used that. And I want to say this to us this morning. You and I ought to listen to people who've walked through life with the crushing of the choices that they've made or just the crushing and the brokenness that comes through the real, reality of life. Because those people will tell you, you can trust God. You can trust Him. So Jonah steps into the city as a prepared man to be used by God now. Stepping into a city that had this great sense of a lack of the absence of God, and they didn't know it, they didn't realize it, but they needed a messenger. You ever gone to a stream before? It's flowing down, and it's beautiful, and all of that, and things float downstream, and they're dead things. Dead things can only float downstream. What can go upstream? Things that are alive. And I think it's a picture of what God is calling you and I to be. We're to be upstream kind of people. That we go against the current. We live differently. We're, we're alive and so we fight for the kingdom of God. We fight and pray for the salvation of others. And in every great awakening, you will find God has been preparing people whose hearts in the brokenness of their sin. Now watch this. Jonah has a past now. You got a past? Anybody got a past? It's not real glamorous. He's going to be that guy now. There's that guy, ran from God, caught in the belly of the fish. He's got that guy, but watch. He is that guy, but, but God is going to use that guy. Even in the midst of some of his, I don't like the Ninevites, he still yields and he trusts in God to do something. Thirdly, <clears throat> let's look at the text now. Um, Let's just, let's just read for a little bit. Look in verse 1. Let's, let's kind of put all this together, and we're going to look at a few other points here. 3.1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to the Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, and he went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, and going a day's journey, he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. I want to briefly talk about two more points here in verse 4. And it's simply this. In every great awakening... This is what you see. God does the saving. The servants do the serving. So Jonah steps into the city. He begins to say what God told him to say. And God takes over. Listen to me, church. We want God to take over. We want God to be in control. We want to yield and serve. Use the gifts God has given us. 
So we do the serving. We do the yielding. We allow God to use the brokenness of our life, this restoration that comes in the midst of our brokenness. And so God begins to do the saving. We serve. It's important to note Jonah went to engage the city in evangelism. He didn't go there. I'm going there to bring revival. He just went to do evangelism. And then God would do the work that God can do. And I think that's a call to us. I long for awakening in our nation. Nobody in here can bring that. And I think what God's wanting us to do, go do the work of evangelism and allow me to do the work of the saving. You serve, you communicate, and I will do the saving. So God does the saving in the kingdom. We are to do the faithful serving. And God's spirit moved so mightily at the end of one day's preaching that the city was stirred to its core. And all over the city, people are coming to faith and and repenting of their sin. Fourth principle, that was the third principle, God does the saving always, we do the serving. What happens if you're not careful is we start to go, man, look how awesome I am. All of this is happening because I'm awesome. No, God moves because he's awesome. In this room today, I look around here and I love everybody in here. Ain't nobody very impressive to God in here this morning. We, we don't have something that's going to wow the world. But God does. And he wants to use us as we yield to him to bring an, a recognition from the lost world to say, wow, God is great. God is good. God is awesome. And part of a fourth principle, always with great awakening, is the communication in the midst of the land that is absent of a sense of the presence of God as there's a call to the people there to repentance and there's a speaking of judgment. So verse 4 just tells us that. These are the words. Now, likely this is a summary But even if this is what God told him to do, this was basically his message. Hey, 40 days and the city's going to be overthrown. Can you imagine just walking all day long just saying that over and over? 40 days, God's going to come. And if you don't repent, he's going to bring judgment to the city. This great city and its great walls is going to be gone. God's going to wipe you out. Now, in the Western world today, we don't like this message of judgment. Because in our culture today, there's this, there's this exaltation of self. Give me comfort. I love me. I don't really love the Savior. And sadly, this has drifted into the church. And there's so much emotional, spiritual pain in the world today and in the church that few and fewer people want to hear the truth. They, well, there's just this idea of, tell me something that makes me feel good. And so churches have adjusted to making people be the center of the message instead of the glory of God being the center of the message. And do you know what depressed, broken people need more than anything? Is a continual proclamation that God is great, sin is horrible, the cross is freeing and empowering, and God loves 
sinners, and he loves those on whom his judgment is coming and it has fallen and or will fall. See, the pain does never, it never negates the reality that judgment is coming. And so Jonah steps into the city and says, listen, I know you guys don't have any clue about Yahweh. I'm of the covenant people of God, but I'm just telling you right now, God's got a problem with the way you've been living, Nineveh. And judgment's coming. And so every great move of God has a hallmark in it that God's servants call people to repentance and remind them that the judgment of God is coming. And I want to remind you and I this morning, if you don't know him today, God's judgment is against you. Now, that doesn't mean that God is against you and that God doesn't want you to know great grace and be in a relationship with him. But those who don't know him are going to be separated from him in this life and in the next life. And so awakening comes, just remind us, where there's repentance and there's communication of judgment. Now, Jonah also, with these words, yet 40 days... And Nineveh shall be overthrown. Here's the fifth hallmark of every great awakening. There's a great urgency felt by those who are God followers. So as Jonah is communicating in Nineveh, 40 days. You got a month and 10 days. And if you don't repent, God is going to bring judgment upon the city, upon your family, upon your life. But God, watch this, grace in the Old Testament. Watch this. Jonah had been called to go to Nineveh a long time ago, however long it was. Several months, five months, six months, whatever the case. He ran from God. Guess in that time, in the midst of his running, God was going to use Jonah. He wanted Jonah to be the one to step into the streets and preach. Guess what? However long that was, four, five, six months, God gave Nineveh more time. And now Jonah's there, and he's given them 40 more days. Listen, I want to remind you and I this morning, if you're here and you don't know him, God is unbelievably patient. His heart is not for you to be separated from him. His heart is, is that we would know him. So as Jonah speaks these words, there's a great urgency that is felt by him, and the Ninevites feel it as well. Wow, 40 days. And God just begins to move. In a sense, the clock began ticking for Nineveh, 40-day clock, as Jonah began to preach. And no matter how well the Ninevites looked, how much money, how much power people in the city had, where it looked like maybe there's a lot of favor upon their life, or no matter how depraved they were, guess what? Everybody needs God. Everybody needs God. And so they began to sense that and realize that. There has always been this great sense of urgency in every awakening. If you're here today, I would say to you, do not delay, come to know Christ. Do not delay, come to know him. Number six, in case you're scared, I got 10 of these things, but they won't take long, all right? We're already at six. In every great awakening... There is a simple, not superficial message that is proclaimed. 
We've already touched on it a little bit. Jonah didn't have, hey, I'm going to talk about the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, and, and uh, it's going to take a few weeks for you guys to kind of understand that. He just stepped in, and it was a simple, profound, not superficial message that's proclaimed. Yet 40 days, city of Nineveh is going to be overthrown. It's simple, it's concise, it's clear. I've been reading about the Welsh revivals, and it's amazing and I'm going, to share, I'm going to share some stories here in a moment about that. It is amazing that the preaching that took place, the simplicity of it, and here's what happens. Watch this. Here's what happens after every great awakening. There's deep theological yearning and longing that comes out of these awakenings. Jonathan Edwards and other people of this nature. Great, great writing comes from this awakening. The message of calling to repentance and judgment that's coming, it's very clear, it's very direct, it's simple, it's not complicated. And yet out of those great awakenings, there was always great theological, deep doctrinal writings and things that happen out of that. And this is what Jonah does. He just steps into the city and it's a simple, clear, direct message. I want, you, I want to ask you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 just for a moment. I want to show you something there under this point. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. <clears throat> Good morning. How y'all doing? My voice is going to make it. I, I asked the Lord. I got two services today, and we're going to get there. Three days ago, I couldn't talk. So anyway, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. What we're about to read has been lost in the Western church and in, in a very wide way it's been lost. So let's read this, 2 Corinthians 4, 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Now look up here. We've been given this great ministry to communicate the mercy of God, that God is withholding judgment still from those who do not know Him. And we've been entrusted with it. And so we don't lose heart because God has called us to something incredibly grand. So we've been given this ministry by the mercy of God so we don't lose heart. And here's what we don't do. Again, this has been lost in the Western church. Look at verse 2. But we have renounced... We have put them down. We have said, we're not doing that. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Listen to what Paul says. The world's not embracing this, but we've been given this ministry of the mercy of God, so we're going to stand in it, and we're not going to tamper with anything. We're not going to do anything other than proclaim the truth of God's Word. So we're not going to be cunning this morning. I'm not here today to go, the judgment of God's coming, so you would get stirred emotionally to do something. I'm here today to say to you, the judgment of God is coming Repent of your sin and come to him. And when you come to him, you're going to find a God whose arms are open wide and who's the most loving one that you could ever, ever imagine, dream of, contemplate about, um, whatever the case may be. He's so amazing 
in his love. And so Paul says, listen, we're not going to do that. Look at verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those, it's veiled to those who are perishing. And in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of un- the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now watch this. Look right here. So here we are. We're getting this ministry. So we're not going to lose heart. Ministry of mercy. And we're not going to trick people to come into the kingdom of God. So we're not going to tamper with God's word. We're not going to go, oh, you know, God's not really judging. Everybody's going to get to go to heaven one day. And we all, we're all going to end up there. The Muslim God, same as our God. You know, we're, no, we're not going to tamper. We're just going to say, no, their God's not the same as our God. And we're just going to proclaim the truth. But for some of those people, they're not going to get it. Why? Because the God of this world, Satan, he's blinded the minds of unbelievers. And they can't see, they, they can't see, they can't hear, they don't understand this life, this ministry of mercy, this proclamation, this love, this, this truth that's in the scripture. They can't see it. And look at verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. Now watch this. Verse 5 is really important. So what do we not do? This is what the church has done today. So I'm going to proclaim, since, since, since people aren't coming to faith, I'm going to proclaim a bunch of stuff about man, about man's feelings, proclaim a stuff about ourselves and about how you're the center of the world and you're the center of God's affection and God's affection is definitely directed to us. But you know what the center of God, ultimately the center of God's affection is? The greatness of his glory. And because he loves his glory, you and I get the benefit that his glory is so great that it comes to sinners so that they can be rescued. And so... So Paul says there in 5, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So what does God do? Look at 6. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know what Paul's saying there? You know what God's going to use? There's a veiling that people can't see, but there's a ministry, there's a life, and we become the lights, we become the ones whom God is going to use. And that's what he's saying there. Let light shine out of darkness. He's shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so we become these witnesses, we become these tools of God, these instruments of God to those where it's veiled to see God can change people. Look at Brittany, look at Tad, look at David, look at Paul. And people began to see where there's a veil that's there that Christ has shown in dark people like we used to be. And he's shown out of our hearts and the shining of the glory of Christ out of our hearts begins this work of God. And the amazing thing, we could go on and on, verse 7, that God has put this incredible treasure inside jars of clay, us, imperfect people. So that, watch this, if there's a 
hole in a pot and there's a light inside the pot, what comes out of that pot, out of the cracks? The light. So these imperfect people like us, like Jonah, become the instruments of God to do this great work. And so we don't tamper with God's word. We don't proclaim ourselves. Social media posts, do do our social media posts brag about us or other things or do they brag about God? I think everything in our life needs to say, God, God, Jesus, glory of Christ. We want everything to be pointed to him. Number seven, God, watch this, I love this one. Every great awakening, this is true, God becomes the focus, not the servants. From verse five to verse 10 of chapter three in Jonah, guess whose name is not mentioned anymore? Jonah. What happens? Jonah's walking through, 40 days, God's gonna overthrow you. God, watch this, God, the spirit of God starts to move in the city. The Ninevites are repenting. They pray, they call out to God. They put sackcloth and ashes. They fast. Jonah, in the rest of the narrative, we don't know anything about Jonah until chapter four. Every great move of God, God becomes the focus, not the servants. We take a back step. What did John the Baptist say? Jesus comes on the scene. He must what? Increase. What do I have to do? I've got to decrease. It's him. John, it was a part of this great move of God. But when Jesus came, John needed to step back so that Jesus, because John came to prepare the way for Jesus. And so when Jesus came, John takes a step back and says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and and I've got to decrease and he's got to increase. We are not the center of the story. We're not. Christ is the center of everything. And will God ever move in a people where the servants are the focus and God is the lesser? No, it'll never happen. God will move in the midst of a people where the servants make themselves less and they make God great. And Jonah steps into the city. He proclaims, God takes over. Repentance, salvation, rescuing happens. And in every great move of God, there's true repentance and there's a work of repentance that is seen. Look, look in verse five again. Go back to Jonah. Verse five says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. It doesn't say they believed Jonah, they believed God. So the people of Nineveh believed God and they, the citizens, called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So they believed God. I think one of the things God does with the, the whole book of, of Jonah is God does this. He's contrasting how Israel has responded to God throughout their life. So here you've got a pagan, wicked city where the whole city repents. And you look at the history of Israel, it was very rare for them to fully repent. There were pockets of great movement of God in the Old Testament, but it was never fully nationwide. There was a core of it, and some of those were pretty widespread. 
But it says this, they believed God. And here you have Israel's enemy responding better to God than Israel responded to God. And it's one of the great contrasts of this, this story of Jonah. Secondly, they called a fast. The citizens call it. Jonah didn't call it. They call a fast. And they put on sackcloth. They didn't, watch this, they didn't worry about what would my neighbors think if I put a bag over my body. When God moves in the midst of a people and they begin to awaken, they don't care what anybody else thinks because God, not the servants, become the focus. Can you imagine what Jonah was seeing in the streets of Nineveh? (laughs) We believe there's 600,000 to a million people that lived in this 60-mile circumference city. And Jonah 3 tells us the whole city repented. I want you to think about that for a moment. The whole city repented. Everybody repented. And you got people, God just moving. Jonah just one day in proclaiming, and God begins to move there. Jonah, we don't know if he said anything else or if the people who were being moved by God now began to tell everybody else, hey, this guy, fish man that came in, he, he told us that God's bringing judgment so we've got to repent. And the citizens began to repent. And then it reached the ears of the king. And I love this. I was deeply moved by this response. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne. He removed his robe. And he covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. He takes his royal clothing off to, sit in, to put sackcloth on. And watch this. He steps away from sitting on the royal throne to sit in ashes. Now, to help us understand here, I'm going to make a political statement. Don't take it too far. This king was evil. It would be like Nancy Pelosi today calling the nation to repent and fast. Some of us would go, are you kidding? That's what it would be like. You know, she loves killing unborn children. But you know what? If God can move the king of Nineveh's heart, can he not move our politicians? So the whole city and the king, they have a humble agreement with God and just say, okay, God, you're right. We're repenting. So the king issues this proclamation and and it's an extreme form of fasting. No tasting of anything. Animals and people, you can't even taste water. We're not tasting anything. We're just going to call out to God and we're going to hope that he hears us and he relents of this judgment that he's going to bring upon our city. The king's statement says, we're going to cut off the source of our problem. We're a wicked people. So we're going to fast and we're going to get our hearts right. So they cut off the source of the problem and they admitted that they had loved the things of this world. They had loved violence. They loved all of this. And now they were going to sever themselves with the material things. The fruit of repentance from the king was this. We're going to live a new way. We're not going to live, the, we're not going to live our old way again. And then he tells them this. And we're, he says, and let everybody call out mightily to God 
but let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. So he said this, I want you to call out to God. Now I want you to picture this. I want you to picture 500,000 people because you got babies in the city. I want you to picture 500,000 people in a city calling out to God. Can you see that this morning? God, it's, just, it's a pagan, Israel's enemy, and God just says, watch what I can do. I'll take one who tried to run from me, and I'm going to fix his heart, and he's not going to be fully engaged with these people. He's engaged with me. He's going to be obedient to me, but he doesn't really love these people, and I'm going to use him, and I'm going to do this great work. Can you imagine what it must have been like if you approached the city of Nineveh on day two, and you just heard a half a million people wailing and crying you were to step inside the city and going why does everybody here have the same clothes on why is everybody dressed in potato sacks and that's what you would see and God had done this great great move all right a couple more things when the Welsh revival began it began in a city in Cardigan and it began in a church. And it began with a young Welsh girl named Flory Evans. In a meeting, God had begun stirring. She stood up and she said these words. Listen to the simplicity. Flory Evans stood up and said, If no one else will, then I must say out loud that I love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of my heart. She was a young girl. And in that congregation of people, just silence. I've been reading these diaries um, about this revival and the people in that congregation just sat quiet for a little bit and then adults began to stand up and repentance and brokenness began to fall on the church and it started with this young girl just saying I just love Jesus with all my heart and I want everybody to know that and God moved in the midst of that a little bit later there was another place there's an, a Welsh hymn called Here is Love as Vast as the Ocean and it was being sung in a congregation in a building where people were hanging off the rafters they they were they the fire marshal would not be happy with what was going on in the Welsh revival I mean people were coming in through the windows they were listening they'd open up all the windows you couldn't get inside of these places in the midst of this Welsh hymn being sung God just began to stir and began to do these things and about a thousand people that night came to know Christ. They estimate between 1904 and 1905 that 150,000 people came to know Christ, most of that in a six-month period. And it all started with a young girl saying, King Jesus is mine, and I love him, and I want everybody to know that. Meetings were taking place all over Wells like this, um, and just passionate singing, passionate praying and there's a one common theme as I've read I've been reading these journals these diaries of it there's one common theme that runs through that and it's just a theme it's just a phrase and if if I didn't know the third W common words and phrases I probably would miss it they just kept saying nobody cared about the time anymore they would come and they would stay at church for eight hours praying singing listening to the scripture being read, listening to preaching. 
There was just a disregard for the clock. Whole communities were changed. As a matter of fact, whole communities were changed in such a way that lawyers, you couldn't find a case on the docket for a while. Lawyers didn't have anything to try. The alcohol industry completely dried up. And this is funny. Um, this literally was true. There were a lot of miners that were part of this. And they, these miners, hardened miners, began to come to faith in Christ. Well, down in the mines, they were foul-mouthed, just foul-mouthed men. Just cussed, cussed, cussed. Now they've gotten saved and they're singing in the mines. And the animals that they used in the mines to do the work didn't know what to do anymore because all the instructions were connected to cuss words. These miners had been so transformed that the, it says in one of the journals, the ponies didn't know what to do anymore because there was no cussing connected with the commands. And God had just incredibly, incredibly moved. Whole towns were changed. Families were changed. The fathers, instead of after working the mines to go get drunk, they were at home with their families and engaged. It was incredible. And I've read this and I've just been deeply moved by it. And I've been reminded, and this is the ninth principle, God's word in great awakening searches, pierces, and always awakens hearts. It's what happened in Nineveh. It's what happened in 1904 and 1905 in the Welsh revival. There's two times Israel had responded like this. You can read about it in Ezra 10, 1 through 17. You can also read it about it same time period in Nehemiah chapter 9. Listen to this. I'll just read a few verses out of Nehemiah 9. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. They put dirt on their heads. Oh, that's a little crazy, you know. You know, when God gets a hold of your heart, nothing's crazy. Nothing's crazy. So here they are. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood. Watch this. I, I want you to hear this. And they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, uh, their God, for a quarter of the day. They just read the scripture. A quarter of the day would be how many hours? Y'all with me? Okay. And for another quarter of it, they made confession and worship the Lord their God. Half of the day, that's what they did. Yeah, but God, we got, we got wild card weekend here. What if God this morning moved in this room? And we couldn't even do the second service. Could he do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. See, God had prepared the soil in Nineveh, and now it was ready for his word. He had already been working in Nineveh before Jonah got there, because he's always working. And now Jonah just proclaims, and God pierces the hearts of these pagan people, and they come to know him. Lastly, this morning is verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said 
that he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, I've, read, I've been reading Jonah for months now, and there's people out there who say, well, you know, it wasn't really true revival. Well, my chapter 3 says they believed God. And my Bible in verse 10 says God saw the repentance and he didn't bring judgment to them, which means what? This was authentic. This was real, authentic. The people repented and God relented from his word that he was going to destroy the city. God had done his work. It was a real work. Their repentance was acceptable to God. None perished, for they believed. And genuine repentance is only is the only path toward forgiveness. Now I want you to listen to these words and we're done. Joel 2.12 Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and do so with fasting and weeping and with mourning. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Watch this. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. That's Joel 2, 12. Joel was a contemporary of Jonah. He lived at the same time. Jeremiah wrote these words. 18.7 and following. If at any time I declare a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I intended to do to it. And the point is this, God decides the fates of cities, and so that's why we call out to him. That's why we call out to him. Jonah had been inconsistent in his views and his responses toward Nineveh, but God had not been that way with Nineveh. Jonah had been that way, but God had not. And the great desire of the Lord is for people to come to know him. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any, any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 1 Timothy 2, 3, this is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God can and God will exercise this sovereignty sometimes in response to our stubbornness and then sometimes he just exercises this great grace that does this great work. And there's this great mercy and this great grace of our God that fell upon a pagan city called Nineveh where every inhabitant of the city was rescued by the mercy and abounding love and kindness and goodness of Yahweh. Listen to this. We're going to pray. Moves of God don't come to those whose spiritual lives 
long for comfort and convenience. But instead, God moves in those who go through the crushing of self at a great cost. What if God were to fall? What if he were to fall? Are we ready for that? Are we ready? If our longing is God convenience, then when we say, God, crush me, crush me at great cost because I want Collin County to know you. I want my kids to know you. I want my brother to know you. I want my boss to know you. And so God, will you begin in me? Those 10 hallmarks, they mark every great move of God. You can find those in every great move of God. And my deep longing is, and I think it's some of us in this room as well, do you not want to see that in our lifetime? And again, we can't manufacture this. But I think God's waiting on the people to say, you're my treasure. I want nothing else. And then at least we're ready when he wants to break us of our love of sin. Jonah and the wells, Jonah and the well, Jonah, the story's about, it's way more than just being in the fish. This is an adult man who has a past now. His heart doesn't love the people he's kind of serving fully. And God just does this great work. And it just says this, God can do whatever God wants to do. He can do whatever he wants to do. And he rescued a whole city. Let's pray.